we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Well, greetings, church. How are you doing this morning? Yeah, it is so good to be here with you this week. My name is Cheyenne Davis. If I haven't got the chance to meet you, I would love to meet you right after service. It is so good to be here with you. We are in week four of a series called Calm After the Storm. And whether you believe in Jesus or you're not sure about Jesus, storms is something that we all have in common, period. Storms do not discriminate against us, no matter what we believe or don't believe. And in our, in our lives, sometimes the storms are just a refreshing light drizzle, right? That renews our spirit and our soul. But sometimes, sometimes our storms beat us down so much that we can't even see a foot ahead of us. And all through the series, we have been learning that our storms teach us a few things, if we let them, right? If we let them. And they can teach us a little bit about humility. We learned that in week one. Patience in week two. Last week we talked about grief. And today we're going to talk about this idea of unity. What does it look like to be unity, to have unity, to contribute unity in a world that is divided around us? So let's just take a minute. All of us here in the sanctuary, online, at the bridge, let's just take a minute just to talk about the elephant in the room before we dive into this idea that unity, that God has about unity for us. Can we all just agree that there is a lot of division in the world right now? Yes, we can. There's so much division. And in fact, let's just look at this last year and a half, right? During pandemic, people think that COVID is a real problem, and some people think COVID is propaganda. There's a division line. When we all started having conversations around masks, to wear one, to not wear one, to wear one, to not wear one, division line, drawn. And now we're talking about vaccines. So now there's division lines that have even been drawn between people that have been vaccinated and people that have not been vaccinated. It is so easy for each of us to stand on an issue and fortify our opinion and our position, unwilling to cross a divide and create unity with another person because we don't agree with them. Division is everywhere. And in fact, it's so much in the air, the tension is just building and building on each other. I mean, have you, have you felt that? Have you felt the tension just stacking on top of each other? It's like we're all in a house and the gas has been left on, right? And we know that we are one spark away from going up in flames, and yet there seems to be absolutely nowhere we can go to be safe from the fire that may be ignited. Division is everywhere. And we have to acknowledge that Division really is kind of our default, right? It's easier for us to be divided than it is for us to be united. If we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, where Adam and Eve made a decision that divided them from God. Their children is where we have the first record of the first murder in the Bible. Cain and Abel divided. What about when Jacob stole Esau's birthright in the beginning of the Bible? Division. 
How about when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery? Division. The division is all around us. There is so much that we cannot control. The only thing you and I can control is what I encourage us today to think about focusing on. The only thing you and I can control is what we think, what we say, and what we do. And listen, I'm going to be real. I'm going to be super duper real with you right now. Being a unifying voice and a unifying influence in a world that has caused tons of division is really hard to do. And in this last year and a half, I'm going to show you a meme. And kids, you may not need to look at this, but I'm going to be super real with you. I'm going to show you a meme. And this is kind of how I have felt in the last year and a half when it comes to loving people that are different than me. And here's the meme. Kids, I really encourage you not to look at this. Okay, but this is Jesus. This is not biblical. This is online. Uh, But this is Jesus starting out saying, be kind to everyone. And someone from the back of the crowd says, wait, even Gary? And someone else in the crowd says, yeah, Gary's the worst. And Jesus is like, look, we've been through this. Yes, be kind to Gary as well. And from the back, this is Gary. Gary says, ha, the old school Southern Baptist in me cannot read that out loud in church. You're going to have to read it for yourself. But from the back, Gary says, ha, that. And Jesus is like, oh, not now, Gary. Not now. Right? It's so easy for us to look at other people and say, oh, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with being a Democrat, a Republican. There's something wrong with my coworker. There's something wrong with being a conservative, a liberal. There's something wrong with the people that believe COVID is propaganda or a true problem. There's something wrong with people that get the vaccination and people that don't get the vaccination. It is so easy to point out what is wrong in other people. And when we do that, we create a divide. Listen, replace Gary's name with anyone who has ever, ever caused you frustration. Coworker, friend, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend anyone in a political party, someone that looks different from you, that's a different race than you, each of us, each of us, it's so easy for us to default to divisive ways. But that's nothing to be ashamed of. That's why I took you all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, is because we all have that ability to be divisive, but we also have the ability to be a healthy contributor to unity in a world that needs light so much. The only thing we can control are our thoughts, what we say, and what we do. And you may think that that's a big stretch. Like, have you seen what's going on out in the world? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. I want to be right more than anybody else. And in fact, in my marriage, I have this saying, when Matt and I disagree, I often say, "Mm, you're entitled to your wrong opinion. Or I say, Matt, I really don't feel like being wrong today. So when you're ready to be wrong, come back and see me because I don't feel like being wrong today. Like, and I know it sounds petty, but after 16 years of marriage, I still want to be right. And when I choose to be right, I divide myself from the opportunity to be united with my husband. Maybe it's just me, but it's easy to go there instead of swallowing my pride 
and figuring out how to be more united to the heart of God. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. I want to show you that even David, even David struggled with the things that he thought, said, and did. Let me pray. God, we just thank you um, for this thing that you have given us called the Bible that is your word. God, we pray that you just move us out of the way so that we can hear something new from you today. And God, I pray that as we all wrestle with this idea of what unity looks like for us individually, God, I pray that you just give us wisdom and how we can be a contributor to the unity around us, even though the world is so divided. God, we pray that your word falls fresh on our hearts today and breathes life into us as we go beyond these walls to be the church that you've called us to be, to love well, to live well in your name. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Okay, so we're going to hang out in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11 and 12. I'm going to kind of recap what we have learned of David through the storms that we have been walking through him with. Up until this point, David's been the man. He is courageous. He is brave. He is bold. He's probably that dude that ever, if he ever tried anything for the first time, he was probably awesome at it. Everyone wanted to be David. Everything that David did from his actions, what he said, what he did, his entire career stacked up and pointed towards the unfailing, unifying love of who God is. But the distance between what we think and what we say and do is shorter than we like to admit sometimes. In chapter 11, we're going to see how a thought stirred in David's mind, a thought that didn't honor God at all, And once he allowed himself to go there mentally, it began to manifest and surface in the world around him, creating his own storm. Up until this point, David had faced a lot of storms that required him to be brave. Everything he did absolutely gave proof to God's authority and love in his life. But in his mind, in his thoughts, this is where David was the biggest danger to himself and to other people. Have any of us ever ever had thoughts that were dangerous for the well-being of ourselves and other people? And that's where David is. So in chapter 11, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase for you, but it's the time that kings go off to war, and David is now the king. But instead of going off to war, David sends a super capable warrior in his place. And so he's hanging out at his house, and he's walking along uh, the rooftop of his palace. And in view, on top of another rooftop, he sees a woman taking a bath. And immediately, he was attracted to her. So much so that he had to know more about her. And so he sent someone to find out about this woman. And they came back, and they said, her name is Bathsheba. And she's actually, she's actually the wife of one of your mightiest warriors, Uriah. And if any of you have ever seen an attractive human being, this is kind of how I think David was hearing this conversation. He was hearing it as, want, want, want Bathsheba, want, 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 attracted to her, want, 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 I got to know more about her, right? He didn't even hear the warning of, she's married, and she's also married to one of your most mightiest warriors. It's at this point in David's career that we can actually see a crossroad. Luke tells us in chapter 16, verse verse 13, and we'll put it on the screen for you. 
But here's what David's kind of faced with. Um, And this is the parable about God and money, but I think it's super fitting here. But Luke says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, in this situation, David had a choice. He could either serve himself with the temporary comfort of another man's wife, or he could stay on track in alignment with what God had planned for him. And in that moment, in his thoughts, he decided to choose himself. What was secret and unrevealed began to manifest in David's life. Do you or I have any thoughts that could manifest and create division from God, who's the most important, but also to the people around us. That's what we see in David right here. The distance between what we think and what we say and what we do is so much shorter than we like to give it credit for. David chose himself. And reading on in chapter 11, he and Bathsheba hooked up. And now let's be super clear. There is absolutely no record in here that says that Bathsheba had any say in it at all. So let the division begin. And then after they hooked up, Bathsheba got pregnant. And instead of coming clean, David devised a couple of situations where he was hoping that Uriah, her husband, and Bathsheba would actually come together and then they could pass the baby off as Uriah's. Uriah didn't fall for the secret plan. He didn't know anything about it. And so then, in a last attempt to keep his secret safe, David said, hey, let's put Uriah on the front lines of battle where the fighting is the fiercest. Uriah was placed there, and Uriah did not come home from battle. And then after that, he was able to make Bathsheba his wife, and the secret was hidden, right? If any of us have ever had a secret, how long does it stay hidden? A big one like that. Not long. In chapter 12, there is a prophet named Nathan, and Nathan came to confront David. And what he says in 17 is, you did it in secret, but I will do this thing. And he's talking about the consequences that David will pay for his actions. But I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Something else that I think is super wise that Luke tells us in, um, let me see, Luke, and we'll put it on the screen for you, 8, verse 17. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known, or brought out into the open. David's secret was out. And you may be thinking, this is the worst pep talk ever about unity. And yeah, it's not that great. So here's the good news. The good news is that there's absolutely nothing that we can do, no divisive thought that we have, that we speak, or that we do that can separate us from the unifying, restorative love of God, period. When David was confronted we see a shift in David's person that moved from trying to save himself to surrendering himself back under the authority and love of God. Have any of us ever tried to be in two places at once physically? It can't happen. It can't. And as much as we like to try to think of it, we can't be emotionally in two places at once. Right? 
We can either be in one place or the other. Do you think affairs just start on the outside of us? No. They start here. When you come home from work, and you've had a long, hard day, and your family's ready to hang out and play with you, and you have this opportunity to be 100% present with them, but your mind's still at work. We can't be in two places at once. We're divided. What about when you're having a conversation with someone, and you're just going through the social cues of, yeah, I hear you, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. Are you really there? Are you really 100% in the conversation? Or are you somewhere else? Like, we all have divisive tendencies in us. It's easy for us to go there. But what is beautiful about what is shifting in David right now is the fact that he is moving from being selfish to selfless with everything that he has done. We're going to spend the rest of our time in Psalm 51. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. You can look for it on the Bible app. But as we go through Psalm 51, this was specifically written in response to the storm that David created with Bathsheba and with Uriah. And he does some very key things here in this psalm, and I think that we can learn a lot about it. But before we do that, there's a couple of questions as we unpack what this psalm could have for each of us today, and it may be different for each of us. Um, There's two questions that we can use to kind of frame our time now and also take with us. And the first question is, how can I grow unified, more unified to the heart of God? And for some of you, the idea of growing more unified to God is super exciting, right? And then for others, it's really exhausting because you just don't know where to start. Like, that's me. I'm a planner. Like, where do I actually start? And the starting place is here. And here, that's where it is. And so we have another question to kind of dial back. But what divisive thoughts exist in me? So these are two questions that are going to kind of frame how we unpack 51. And I'd love to start in verse 10. Verse 10 in Psalm 51 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So again, when Nathan confronted David, he could have done a lot of things. But he stopped the excuses. He stopped trying to hide what he had done. And he gave it completely over for God to create in him something new. And what I really like about this verse is that the word create here is the same word for creation in Genesis. And so that means David's not asking for God just to create something out of his mess and then give it back to him so he can take care of it. David was saying, I need to be made new from the inside out. So God, speak light into the darkness that I have created in my spirit. Speak something into the nothingness that I have created. Create in me something new because what exists currently does not point to the unifying love of who God is. Make me new. Make me new. Create in me a pure heart. And so for your message notes, number one, when we think about creating in us a new heart, um, it's important to ask God to reveal our divisive thoughts if we even have them, right? Because here's the thing about divisive thoughts. Sometimes we don't even know that we have them until they're, well, out of us, right? And they're manifesting in the world around us. And my example for that is um, my my son is 15, and he's been taller than me for about a year now. And so he's been kind of pushing his physical boundaries with me. You know, we wrestled together, all the things. And one day he said, hey, mom, 
how, uh, what's the dosage on the vitamins that I will be taking? And I said, two. And he said, really? Two? I'm like, yep. And he said, that's the adult dosage. And without thinking about any of it any further, I was like, yeah, bubs, that's the adult dosage. And then he got really quiet, and I looked up to see what was happening. And when I looked up, his eyes were just big with wonder, and his brain was spinning with the potential and the possibility of his newfound adulthood. And then he dropped his head at me, and he raised an eyebrow. And he didn't say a word, but it's almost as if he did utter the words, I'm an adult now, and we're on the same playing field. Before I had a chance to think about how I could respond better, I crossed my sassy arms, and I said, look here, player, I do not care what your gummy vitamin bottle says. It is not a primary indicator of your adulthood. And the moment that we could have had together, I completely severed. That I later had to apologize for. But how many of us have an opinion or feel like we have an authority somewhere that when it's challenged, we just fortify where we're at and say, nope, you have no place here. In that moment that Canaan was just spiraling in his adulthood, I brought him down a notch. And sometimes we need to do that. But in that moment, I could have celebrated where he was, but I didn't. I didn't know the division existed in me until it was outside of me. And then we had to do all the things to reverse and go back and be unified together. Ask God to reveal my divisive thoughts. And here's the awesome thing about God. We do not serve a God who will not share with us ways to be the light in a world that is ready to shackle us to our darkness. If what we ask for is an alignment to what God is calling us to and who God is as a being, we ask and we shall receive. Ask God to reveal my divisive thoughts. In verse 6, the first part of verse 6, <coughs> oh, excuse me. First part of verse 6 is, <clears throat> yet you desired, that is spiritual warfare. Can you agree? <coughs> okay. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. So, let's think about this. How many of us were raised by crazy parents? Yeah, oh, you're with your parents. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> never mind. We don't need to put our hands up. That was a bad, that was a bad plan. I see what happened. As soon as it came out of my mouth, it was absolutely wrong. Okay, reset. David says, you desired faithfulness even in the womb. So, so many times you and I try to blame the problems that we are creating outside of us on the problems that we experienced in our home and in our previous marriages, in our previous relationships, in our previous friendships, we're so quick to say, oh my goodness, it's not my fault, it's their fault. But right here where David is saying, you desired faithfulness even in the womb, meaning there is absolutely no excuse for the ways that we create storms around us. Because the only person that has a choice at the end of the day is absolutely us. And you taught me wisdom in that secret place. So when David's saying that, it's hope and a reminder to us that everything that we need to be a unifying voice in a world that is divided was given to us 
when we were conceived. We have everything that we need to create unity around us. We just have to tap into it. So in your message notes, number two, to practice being more unified to the heart of God, it's important to desire wisdom where we keep our secrets. What is secret in our thoughts will surface. And you know, maybe, maybe, it's not, uh, maybe it's not as deep as lust and envy like it was with David. But like I, I shared with Canaan, maybe, maybe what's, keeping, what's kept in my secret places and your secret places, maybe it's pride, right? Pride is very much a divisive thought. Pride tells us that we're right and other people are wrong. And when we create an us versus them scenario, it's easy for us to justify how we treat that other person because we're right and they are wrong. Desire wisdom where we keep our secrets. And here's the thing. If somebody has a deep secret in this room and they just keep trying to cover it up like David tried to cover his up, right? As long as we try to fix what's happening around us, the fix is going to be temporary. But as soon as what was brought to light was revealed, David knew that he could be redeemed. And so many times we think that if we allow what is hidden to become revealed, we're just going to feel more ashamed. And it's not about that. The motive for letting the darkness come to light is not about being ashamed. Could it be messy at first? Absolutely. People are going to be mad at you if it involves another person. You better believe it. But what is revealed can be redeemed. And David even wrestles with his shame. It's in verses 7, 8, and 9. And David says, cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. And when we're talking about hyssop here, that's meaning there is something sick on the inside of me, my heart. There's something that I carry that can only be reached with the cleansing from within. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. You don't get more ashamed than that. And David's not saying that God crushed his bones. That's the imagery of the fact that you and I can't stand upright and proud of what God is doing in our lives and move forward with broken bones. Desire wisdom for we keep our secrets. The motive is not to feel more shame. The motive is to be redeemed and restored and renewed back to the heart of God. In verse 4, this is something that David does well, for the most part. In verse 4 says, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So let's just stop right there. David did this well. Against you, God, and only you. That's what needs to be made right. So many times, you and I decide what we're going to do, say, or sometimes even think based on what we think somebody else may do, say, or think about what we say, right? So many times we let that kind of be the filter. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? Are they going to be mad at me? So many times we allow that to be the filter of which we make our decisions. David didn't do that. David said, against you and only you have I sinned, and I will be made right with you. And when I am made right with you, I can be a healthy contributor to what is around me. In your message notes, number three, make decisions based on God's authority. 
Now, it is important if we've hurt someone to make amends with them. But here's where that can get a little tricky too. If you've ever been like David and hurt someone so many times, and we might not even know we're doing it, so many times we wait for their forgiveness before we get right with God, right? Or sometimes we've hurt people so bad that maybe the barrier between us being aligned back to the heart of God is the fact that we can't forgive ourselves for what we did to someone that we love. God's authority can change everything. And you know what? David has a really great example of this before he ever became king, of how God truly was the standard for which he set his decisions, except for where we see him struggle with his thoughts in chapter 11. But before David was king, Saul was king. And Saul tried to kill David a number of times. Saul made David a refugee. He fleed from his home. He created a lot of conflict for David. But David had two chances to wipe him out. One time, Saul was using the bathroom in a cave, and he went and he cut a piece of cloak off of Saul's cloak and crept back out. Another time, Saul was sleeping, and he snuck into his tent, and he took Saul's water jug. And these are two separate occasions, but on both occasions, David called out to Saul, and he said, Saul, I had two chances Two chances to get rid of you, but I didn't because you are the Lord's anointed. The storm that Saul had created out of his own envy with David was not what David filtered his decisions through. It was not what influenced how he was going to love Saul because David said, if God loves you, I'll love you. How many times do we get a chance to make a jab at somebody? Maybe passively post something on social media. How many times do you and I take that chance to just create more division? And it's because maybe, maybe just maybe, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just because we want someone to know that we are right and they are wrong. How many times do we decide how we're going to treat someone based off of God's love? Or do we allow how they vote, what they think about COVID, what they think about mass, if they, or if they did not take the vaccine? How many times is that our starting point to how we treat other people? Can I tell you that none of us have to be on the same page about any of those things for us to be unified to the heart of God and move forward? None of that has to happen. For us to be unified to the heart of God and be a healthy, positive contributor to the world around us. And maybe it's just me, but it is hard to make decisions based on God's authority. I remember this was, this was definitely pre-COVID, uh, when I had no shame of going somewhere in public when I had fever. Um, but I went to Subway because my two kids and my husband had the flu. Again, way pre-COVID. And when I walked in, another man was walking out, and it was just me and a young lady in Subway. That was what they wanted. Um, and I was going to get their sandwiches. And this young lady never looked up at me. She never talked to me. From the time I asked, from the time I decided bread, all the way through the sandwich line, everything that she did was wrong, and I had to lovingly correct her. And by the time, from the beginning of the sandwich line to the end of the sandwich line, I had decided, because I'm a customer service junkie, I love good customer service, by the time we got to the checkout, I was like, she needs to know. She needs to know that this was a terrible experience for the customer, and the customer is always right. 
By the time I got to check out, I'd made a great excuse to be able to just let her know what I thought. And so she got down there, and she'd been slamming my sandwich the whole time. And when she finally closed my sandwich up, I said, hey, this seems like it was the absolute most worst experience ever for you. Can you tell me about that, please? And I was trying to bait her. So she'd be mean to me, and then I could be mean back. And she put both of her hands on each side of my sandwich, and tears started falling. And I was checking to make sure they didn't fall on my sandwich. (sighs) I know. I got so much work to do on me. Um, But she sat there, and the tears were falling. And she said, the guy that was here before you, he yelled at me the whole time he was here. He had a coupon that was expired. And I can't, I can't do anything about that. If, if I did that, I'd lose my job. It was 50 cents off of a sandwich. And we sat there, and we had a conversation over my sandwiches that were going cold now. Maybe it's just me. But so many times, I can make excuses that justify me putting someone in a place I think they belong. It's something I struggle with every day. David struggled with lust and envy. I struggle with pride all the time. And maybe this isn't the speed of your pride. Maybe the speed of your pride is you think everyone needs to know the truth. And isn't it funny that you're the only one that seems to know the truth? And so as you start dealing out the truth, I encourage you, dial it back a little bit. Is the truth that you're serving actually going to serve the righteousness and unifying love of who God is, or is it just going to serve the righteousness of of you? Now, can we peel back a layer and discover some divisive thoughts of us? It's important in your message notes, number four, to own my divisive thoughts. Own them all. And that's what we see David do here. In the second part of verse 4, he says, You are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. So when Nathan came to David, he could have done a lot of things. He could have made a lot of excuses. He could have blamed the affair with Bathsheba on the fact that he didn't go to the battle. He could have blamed his lust for Bathsheba on the fact that she was naked in a bath. He could have blamed Uriah's death on the fact that Uriah just didn't comply with the secret plan that he had for him. That's why he's dead but he didn't. And in fact, in verse 1 of Psalm 51, when Nathan confronts David, this is how he comes into the conversation. David was like, have mercy on me, God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. And his transgressions were many. Own my divisive thoughts. Excuses only make our temporary comfort zone just a little cozier but it is a temporary fix. And God is calling us to an eternal change. In verses 12 and 13, David says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Anybody else in the house not have a willing spirit sometimes? Anybody here ever felt like, okay, I know the right thing to do, but man, this other thing sounds so much fun. Or this other thing sounds so much easier or less exhausting. But David's saying, grant me a willing spirit that will sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. 
David was ready for everything to be submitted for review in the eyes of God so that he could go back to making a difference and not making a point. In your message notes, number five, as we're really thinking about our own divisive thoughts, it's important for us to try to make a difference and not a point. David's one desire when everything came out was to return back to the heart of God, to be unified back to the heart of God. And once God took care of his own brokenness and his divisive thoughts, all David wanted after that was to teach transgressors your ways so that others will turn back to you. So many times we want people to turn to us. Live in a way so others will return back to Christ through what you think, say, and do. And I know it's not easy. In verse 14, David's talking about, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are my Savior and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. And what I really like about this verse, um, the word blood and bloodshed, the Hebrew word that's most commonly used is medamum, which means death. So deliver me from death. But then there's been a couple of scholars that have said the Hebrew word is actually medumum, which is silence. God, deliver me from my silence. Because what is revealed can be redeemed. And what is revealed can be surrendered at the foot of the cross. However often you need to. Every moment, every day, every week. Verses 17, verse 17 says this. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart that you, God, will not despise. At the end of the day, all David had to offer was a broken, regretful, remorseful, apologetic heart. And that's all. That's all God needs from each of us is to surrender our thoughts and actions and our hearts daily. So many times we really try to think that I just need to be a better version of myself before I start working on this relationship with God, right? God doesn't want that. He just wants you. No matter the brokenness, no matter the division that we carry, he wants us to be unified because it's when we are in alignment with him that we understand that none of us have to be on the same page about what we see in the current issues of the world. None of us have to be on the same page to be unified to the heart of God and move forward. Agreeing on a topic doesn't have to happen before we can move past an argument. How we love our neighbor has absolutely nothing to do with our neighbor's actions, but absolutely everything to do with what God has already done through Jesus on the cross. I know that division is easier but God has given us something specific and beautiful so that we can be a healthy contributor to the world around us. Let me pray for you. God, we just thank you so much um, that there is not a mess we can create, there is not a mess that we can carry, and there is not a mess that we can face um, that will separate us from your undying love. God, we thank you so much that you're with us and the storms that we face, carry, and create, you're always with us. 
And so God, as we look inward and go from this place to really wrestle with our own divisiveness so that we can contribute unity to the world around you, God, I pray that you just help us see inward and see those things, God, and I pray that we have the courage to unleash what we learn from you and the world around you because only you, God, only you can create unity in a world that is deeply divided. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.